0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's been a week. It's,
1: <laughs> it's been a heck of a week. It's been you know. a week. You can bring up any topic, and, and I'll sit there and go, It's only been since last Friday. I mean, you, and you, you don't have you, two small go, kids in the house, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you got a whole separate set of ordeals, but but you, you, you have everything that's going on with with, with George Floyd and sports and social justice. There still is a pandemic. Um, uh, you have from a sports world, you have te- teams and sports coming back, or in the MLB's case, probably not coming back. You oh, have killing uh, me. The, the Roy Halliday. Thing and and you have Lance Lance Armstrong continuing to show what a horse is bleepy. I mean,
0: I mean,
1: you just can keep you can keep going. It, it really is amazing for you know for the fact that we don't have actual live sports except for the Korean baseball organization, which we, you are watching religiously. The NC Dinos are still in first place. Um, uh, you're, you're getting your fix right
0: there. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go off on the Lance doc. Uh, he has not surprised me in the least. Uh, but I'll leave that there. The holiday doc I Whoa, found wait, very Do you want to guy.
1: talk about Lance quickly? Because, because, because sure. I I do, you know it, you you know how much I always am baffled, even though I shouldn't be, at how tone deaf some people can be. Mm-hmm. Lance Armstrong's level of tone deafness went up from last week. The fact that that he th- they had the the basically a split screen of Lance Armstrong. It wasn't a physical split screen, but Lance Armstrong and his son. Who's a football player at Rice, and his son, when asked the question if he would ever do PEDs, was no. Well, I want to earn it on my own, and I I don't I wouldn't want that following me around. And then they ask Lance Armstrong about it, and to, basically to paraphrase, he he says, well, while he's in college, I don't think he should do it, but when he gets to the pros, <laughs> well, and it's it's just like. And then they show him speaking to Rice, speaking to these college athletes. And and I'm sitting there going, why would anybody at this point let him speak to the youth of America? Well, he still
0: can't say he did anything wrong. I mean, that was abundantly clear in both. Episodes. He also still hates Floyd Landis. That is abundantly clear as well.
1: <laughs> you think? Uh, um, it, it was, it's just it, it that that documentary more than any I've ever seen is you just watch the entire thing with your mouth agape, going, "I can't believe he's saying it." And then he says something else, and you go, wow, that was dumber than the last thing he said. It, and that part of the documentary is not complicated.
0: <laughs> that is very clear. You know, the complicated part is can they ask the question, can good people do bad things
1: or bad people do good
0: things? Right. And so I guess that's the complicated part. Wait, in, but,
1: but what, what, where does he fall in that? He, he did a good thing in that he did the, the – you know, live strong stuff. And so, but he did a lot of bad stuff.
0: So does, right. how much does that discount the good that he did? I guess was the question. It seems like he wants credit for the good. He did. He doesn't seem to want to own anything. He's, the bad, he's got he a did. Giant ego. but he doesn't want to own anything. The bad he did. He doesn't want to admit that it was actually wrong. He just wants credit for the good. Yep. I want life like that too. Uh, the holiday documentary, uh, obviously emotional to watch, you know, that one hits home to me, not, just because of Roy Halladay being Roy Halladay, but because of the mental health side of things and how Brandy is so publicly trying to make sure that he is somebody that can help other people because of what's coming out. You and I had talked last week about sort of the reticence of some of his teammates to talk about it because they didn't want to tarnish his reputation, it seemed.
1: Mm-hmm. What are your
0: thoughts after watching that documentary now?
1: It still I still felt that way. it was it was interesting to see that there were not many players that were on camera interviews um, who was other than Kyle Kendrick who really spoke op- openly about it, right? So it, but it what there were things in it. I wish they didn't show. There was a part where they showed the wreckage and the boat going up to the wreckage. Yeah,
0: I could have done about
1: that. And I openly kept saying, please don't show the body. Like I was I was so close to just turning it off. and, And thank God they didn't because I just that that would have been an image I couldn't get out of my head. But it was you know it, it it showed the pressure on professional athletes and the pressure that some of most of us have in our careers and and what can you know what can happen if you don't handle that pressure properly he had the additional problem that the pressure led him to take painkillers and those painkillers are something that for athletes are hard to get off of and become a crutch I, the, he shrunk 3 inches yeah, that was <laughs> that was uh, like it, it's unfathomable to to think that his spine was in that bad a position and and he still pitched. Yes. Like we all watched him pitch and, and rooted him on and had no idea that he was going through this suffering and and that what it, and and also that he would throw up in the morning that like the anxiety for him was See, so strong.
0: I'll I'll again I'm I'm very honest on the show. I related to that and understood the waking up not feeling comfortable. But for him as an athlete, though, the example that he sets, the question I have for you is about his fear of the public scrutiny of it. Yeah. Now, uh-huh. people deal in their own way privately. Right. But how do you think he handled the public scrutiny of it other than hiding it away? Did you come away with any, you know, he checked out of the rehab because of that. Right. Um, and, and it seemed like, <clears throat> excuse me, he was very concerned about he other people was... judging him and finding out about that.
1: He was a prideful man is the way I look at it. And he just, he, he didn't he didn't seem to do it because of, of a reason that he was denying that he had any type of problem. It seemed like he did it because he was afraid of letting people down. And to me, that's for somebody that was so adored, for him not to realize that, to think that that was a pressure that he had to please people, instead of realizing that it was something that people just admired him. And it wasn't just admiring him as, as a player, it was admiring him as a person. That came off clear. Everybody that we talk to and and talk about
0: it, uh, it's clear how much he was admired as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, why don't we
1: leave that there
0: and uh, let's let's get into a larger conversation with our guest today. You want to bring him on?
1: Sure. Doug, we have Doug Glanville on the line. Doug, how you doing? All
2: right. How are you?
1: We're doing well. Um, We're struggling with some things. And, and, you know, the first person that I thought of and Jason thought of when this started to happen was you, we've we've talked to you about some of these issues before you've been an important voice on so many issues, including the intersection of sports and society. You've taught a class at your alma mater at University of Pennsylvania and now at UConn where the class is aptly called sports and society. Uh, Before we talk about the role of sports and where we go from here, can you tell us how you felt the past couple of weeks?
2: Well, I'll tell you, you know, every kind of emotion and, um, you know, it's been a, a long week for everyone. And of course, when you compound it by living through a pandemic and just having that limited social contact, it's, um, you know, it's intense. And as you know, I have four kids and my wife. And so, you know, we've had to dissect it from not only our perspective, from many others as we. Figure out what's appropriate to talk to the kids about at all, and they're pretty young, so you know. So that brought it home in that perspective, and then I just, you know, watched uh, how our reaction, to our country reacted, and and sort of the you know relationship with law enforcement and uh, generally communities of color is, is still so strained, and and this is just sort of the summation of all that frustration is something that's on the more minor minor scale of of issues turns into a death sentence. And, you know, I've looked through it through a lot of lenses because I come at it, as you mentioned, through the teaching in a class at UConn. I come at it from being a professional athlete and you know, sitting down at one point this week with other players from my contemporaries who are African-American who are also retired and, and seeing that they don't feel comfortable. They still live with this uh, intense insecurity uh, because of race. And, and but however, I have this experience with law enforcement on multiple levels that's been positive growing up. My father was a psychiatrist and he used to counsel police officers and when I watched that as a young person I started to understand the stress they were under at an early age. Then my volunteer coaches were law enforcement. They they were my summer league coaches and managers and they looked out for us. So slowly because I had this kind of access um, because I had this kind of access I ended up you know, being able to see them in this very family-oriented environment. I said, okay, well, this is my teammate. And it started to help me see sport as an opportunity a way in to break down some of these barriers. So when I played at the major league level, by then those teammates from that summer league team, many of them became officers in my hometown, and they became close to my family. And when I played, they ended up becoming uh, guardians and looking out for my parents when I was on the road. And when my father passed away, they came to the funeral in full uniform, and gave a police escort to the interment and burial. So, you know, when you come at it from those many perspectives, there's an aspect that gives me hope. Um, I'm doing policy work in Connecticut on the police council, and but there's so much pain, and we have to really unearth a lot of our history, uh, bring it slowly to the present, understand that this is stacked upon a legacy of of a. Uh, problems that we've had a relationship between law enforcement and, and communities of color in particular and so if we don't address that we can't just build neutral policy over it we have to really backtrack and and look at this objectively through very stringent lenses so uh, plenty of work to do but at the same time we have to do it together
0: it seems like before we can build policy we have to have conversation and Oftentimes, it just seems like people are so uncomfortable with having that conversation that they retreat to their corner of where they're coming from and, and make the argument about them. And it, it seems like this week, uh, the importance of listening is that much greater and understanding where other people are coming from. As a professor, how do you uh, you know, approach your students now so that they can have these conversations with people who often just feel don't feel comfortable and want to take it in their own direction
2: well it's difficult because it is uncomfortable it is and some of it is comes to you know we say at ESPN at times you know you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable right it takes a lot of time but the classroom is a great environment to kind of get the reps and practice of all right we're going to debate this or we're going to discuss this and sort of create alignment but there's no question there's the exposure Just like I mentioned as being on a baseball team with a family of law enforcement, the exposure is critical because it does melt away a lot of the preconceived notions or the biases. A challenge in our country is we have such a deep segregation. I mean, I know we're past, you know, the 60s, but we have still a tremendous amount of segregation. We have very much lack of access. Or if you do have access, it's on certain terms. And certainly when you have a level of power, then those terms will be catered to your power. And, and so, in the classroom, that's that's one element. But educating each other through our stories and really being empathetic and listening, uh, it takes practice. It does. It takes a tremendous amount of time and practice. But that practice pays off because you will reach understanding. We're also battling an environment that is the ideological landscape around our politics is very difficult because uh, now we're sliced in another way. Saying, well, no, if you're this, you believe in that. If you're that, it's very binary. And, and our country was built on some level of middle ground. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and the two party system and we found ways to say, all right, we, we compromise because the process by which we reach compromise is equally invaluable as the end game as the result. We learn that the process is important because it makes you listen to other sides. It helps you engage. And, and there's something empowering when you don't get everything you want. You learn how to find that middle ground those exchanges are challenging in a social media landscape where 140 characters or 200 characters and who's fastest and quickest and gets the most likes. And, uh, you know, sort of the, the met, the metrics of value is, is skewed away from deeper, richer content that actually is the slow work and takes a lot of depth and time to reach. And so we have to unpack a lot of things to get to the point where you're talking about, uh, but it, it can be done, and I've certainly been through three courses now, and at the end, it's a very different experience from when we started.
1: Doug, one of the things that you, you just mentioned was was about segregation. One of the places that is not as,
2: as segregated
1: is the locker room. Um but this week, we've seen the locker room divides uh, in player comments, especially over the last couple of days, most, uh, most prominently with Drew Brees and also with Jake Fromm. If you were on the Saints and had a leadership role, what would you say to the interested parties? How would you deal with it?
2: Well, the first thing I would do is this. I mean, you know, I, I noticed that Sam Horn, a former teammate of Brees, also spoke. And the thing that I found compelling about what he said is, I know Drew Brees. I know he's, you know, a good person. I know he's looked out for the black community. Uh, he talked, he gave examples, and then he kind of closed it by saying, "If I know him as well as I think I know him," and I'm paraphrasing, "he will apologize and he will think and realize some of the pain he's caused." Uh, so part of it goes back to that uh, previous point is that the speed of information makes it difficult to really get the whole picture. For example, when I saw Drew Brees, I saw the quote. I went and right to the video and I watched the whole thing. I watched everything I could because I wanted context. I mean, you can't take, you know, a sentence and say that's what it all meant. So I watched it as much as I could. Then I went and sort of noticed that if I responded vehemently off the quote or part of it, excuse me, if I started off that quote, then what would I have said the next day after you apologized? I mean, so when you rush to the, to the bottom line, and you don't have the humility to either apologize or rethink something or consider new information, then we're really not going to solve anything. And that's part of the problem. It's the doubling down of judging something before we get to the end game. Now, yes, I would have been very upset, even within the context of what he said, given the tenor of our country and where we are and you know, after George Floyd and all these things. Absolutely. However, the conversation would still be an opportunity to talk to a teammate because As teammates, you know, you think about a baseball season. Every year we go to spring training. People come from all over the world, all over the country. They settle in. We don't know some of these players. We have preconceived notions of where they're from. And then all of a sudden, you have a baseball experience. You come together, you have a goal, you're a team, and then you see it in evidence. You watch who hustles every play. You watch who works out in the locker room. You watch who you want to give the ball to in the ninth inning. And you find these examples that transcend a lot of these simplistic ways to judge somebody and you start to look at content and character and something deeper yeah we still come from somewhere but we have a goal and and the more time you put in that game 162 at the end of the season you have a very different perception of who that person is and that type of intimacy or at least close proximity with conversation matters and so drew Brees. And others, you know there's going to be challenges at times when you're playing with someone that disagrees. You know you have experiences and how you grew up, but you don't forget the objective. and And right now, the team we're talking about is the United States of America, and you have to get on that page to be able to move forward.
0: You talk about the rush to reaction in
2: the social media,
0: you know era. Are you encouraged or discouraged overall by? the discourse we're seeing in that you have people of all races participating in protests and conversations. You have athletes utilizing the platforms that they have seemingly at a greater number than they have previously. It seems like you have some sort of dialogue with some of these leagues, though there is criticism of of the hypocrisy of them speaking out at this point. Uh, Are you encouraged or discouraged by what you're seeing in the reaction? separate from the actual actions out in the streets?
2: I'm encouraged, I'm encouraged. I mean, the the players and these athletes have a certain platform And, and it's challenging. It's a huge responsibility and it's certainly tough when you're a current player because of the backlash and it's gonna come. But at the same time, they are in a position to embody the example that I just laid out, they live in an environment that works on teamwork across many different lines. They work in an environment where the rules are tantamount to how the game survives. You have to have rules to come up with a balance, and it's equitable. My rule is if I'm playing basketball, it's not like the size of the hoop on one end is different than the size on the hoop on my end. And we accept that as athletes because we want fairness. We don't feel it's a victory if I shot on a basketball hoop the size of the Atlantic Ocean and you're shooting against a postage stamp. It, it has valor and value to have some sort of equitable landscape. And, of course, it doesn't always achieve it. There's ways that people cut corners and steroids and all these different things, but it's aspirational. And those athletes live and breathe that, and, and every single day of their lives, they are athletes in that mind, body, and soul. So they're very qualified to speak. I categorically reject Shut Up and Dribble. I categorically reject it because you have this uh, opportunity, landscape, influence. And sure, we may not still uh, agree with what comes out of someone's mouth about what they're saying, but the engagement is important. And and they've figured out a way to navigate the diversity of a locker room for a common goal. Those are great examples of what we should look to. So I, I welcome the conversation Drew Brees, you know, it doesn't matter. He's like, you need to have these conversations because it sets the table, even in the sporting environment, to have a larger conversation as we're talking about race in America. You're able to get the the tool set and the skills to talk to different people and recognize that you're aligned in a lot more ways than you're divided. I mean, nobody's binary. You can't say I'm a Democrat and let me check off 15 different things that we all agree on every single one of them or I'm a Republican and we all I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it's not it's, it's it becomes ideological and there's there's too much middle ground and athletes exemplify that exact example.
0: You mentioned athletes exemplifying the example and encouraging the conversation. The other day you did a Zoom with a lot of former players, Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins in particular were on there. Uh, It was eye-opening to hear some of their stories. Can you talk a little bit about that conversation for our listeners that maybe missed it?
2: Yeah, well, Ken Rosenthal texted me on Saturday and said, hey, I'm thinking about having a roundtable panel on Zoom. I'm having a lot of trouble getting the current players, but I want to talk to African-American players about their experience in this country. And I was signed up, and, and it ended up a panel with Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard, LaTroy Hawkins, Tori Hunter, Dontrell Willis. And I got to use my professor skills and and moderated. And, I mean, it was powerful because, for me personally, I found an alliance. You know, you realize you kind of go your separate ways, your career ends. And then I realized, oh, okay, I'm similarly situated. They have these same experiences. You may have known that from a distance, but to really talk through it. And there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of pain, not just because of George Floyd, because how they have to exist and navigate Uh, living in this country and uh, they're, they're patriots. They're grateful. They they believe in it, but they still know that there's a a second class citizenship component to race in America. And you think about the examples of Troy Hawkins, every time he went to a city, he'd go right to the police department to introduce himself, to make sure that they knew he was there and knew his family. Uh, You see Tory Hunter almost apologetically saying, we're not all bad. We got it. I have to approach it this way. Jimmy Rollins had a practical, pragmatic approach to it. Uh, questioning, okay, if I'm in uniform versus I'm out of uniform, how am I treated? Don Charles Willis talking about, hey, I don't know what I tell my kids. I'm not sure how to when to actually introduce this conversation. I mean, it was fascinating landscape, and I think the key I took away was there's so many within the unification of the the common experience of being a man of color in America, you also have these diverse vantage points by how they strategically approach it. They have very different views on how they attack it. And there's a solitude to that because it wasn't necessarily a line. We didn't necessarily bounce it off each other until we have these concentrated moments like George Floyd. So bringing it together, uh, you you hear these stories and there's a common story through it. And you see the thin line that's between something mundane that you're doing and a death sentence. You see the thin line of doing something and someone calling 911 because you're jogging in the neighborhood. That's, I mean, I could tell you three major stories I had in the last five years of just, you know, being in these highly compromised situations. And so it's, it's important to hear that pain and also the fact that they're sharing them, the empathy that can, can sort of come from that. But these are, you know, multi-million dollar star, MVP, all-star, and it, it, what it tugs at is this idea that if you do things a certain way, if you follow the rules, if you achieve greatness or you have so much money you can buy your way around it, that doesn't apply uh, to these African American gentlemen. And in some in some ways, in some ways the, the positive in that is there's a humility to it, and there's a connection to a group of people regardless of class and status that we say we're one. And in other ways, when that one is lumped into a way that you're profiled and criminalized around it, that is a great pain that comes with it. But they shared it very openly. And uh, I I found it to be a very transformational experience for
1: for me. Doug, one of the reasons that that I know we admire you and so many people admire you is is not only because you speak about these issues, but because you put them into action. You talked to us, uh, I think last time we were on, about what you did when you were out in L.A. Um, And now I I know you mentioned at the beginning of this that you're working with your local community. Can you tell us what you're doing and what we all can do in our own local communities to make this better?
2: Well, you no, know, I appreciate that. I, I, I've taken time because when I go back to that example of engaging law enforcement, I was in a town of Teaneck, New Jersey, that voluntarily desegregated in the 60s. So I've watched as I grew up this commitment to an inclusive society. And it was not easy, but they said, this is what we're doing. and And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of cutting down certain walls. It takes time. But it's amazing that I watched the generational shift, even as I got older, about how people became so comfortable with this access to people of all walks of life. So that may not be possible in every community. In fact, it's probably unlikely in most communities in our country. However, uh, there is a, a chance to say something. There's a chance to move in and take steps to engage on that ground level. Because if you look at George Floyd, for example, everybody can have a voice and go to their local police department and ask questions, say, Hey, what's your policy on this? What's the state say on this? Um, I'm on a council called the police officer standards, and training council that sets policy around training and standards and uh, pretty incredible. And there's a, there's civilians like myself on this council that should be a standard all through the country. Um, So it's possible to make, make a difference and, and it may only have to start with on a small level. But but I think the, the complicit, the, the nature of overlooking things, you know you have all these people that really do care about this. They're in pain about George Floyd. It doesn't matter their background, but it's it's the silence that is so powerful and, and in some ways that can be so poisonous because it's, okay, well, I'm in a good spot, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm afraid to say something. I'm afraid to do anything. Engage the process. And I have so many examples. We, we were able to pass a law from one of the experiences I have with, uh, a police officer in my driveway when I was snow shoveling, and that was a lot, it was a lot of work. But it was the process in and of itself was so powerful because as we went along closer to getting this law passed, everybody sort of started jumping on board and investing in it. And then then the work is not that tough because everybody starts to protect something that they care about. So you know engaging that process is is absolutely important, and and recognize that some people don't feel the power. Uh, nor the access to do that. and And so fixing the process to create that engagement is also part of it.
1: Well, Doug, we, we want to thank you for taking the time to to talk to our audience and talk to us about this. And we hope everybody will continue to have these conversations. if If we don't want to uh, enroll at the University of Connecticut, where can, where can we where can where can everybody see you and listen to you and and read your your pieces? Don't get me wrong. I'd like to enroll yeah. at the
0: university, but yeah. it's just a far <laughs> trip for class. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I always think of like, how can I do this? Uh, you know, larger online or something. So if, I've been brainstorming. Uh, well, it's I'm very I'm very active on Twitter. Um, I just uh, we're just posting an essay I wrote called Enough uh, for ESPN, and very excited about it. It's uh, you know something that was personal, but I had a great team to work with. So I love Twitter. So it's just simply at Doug Glanville It's my first name and last name tied together. And I'm on the usual places of Facebook, not as much, but uh, Instagram, but I love Twitter. And, um, you know, and I'm very accessible. If you email me, I, I get right back to you. So uh, reach out anytime. And I do, you know, my, my podcast with Jason Stark has been such a joy, It's called Starkville. So you'll see me out at the athletic from time to time. So um, absolutely reach out. Any more information on this, I'm glad to share it.
0: That is a lot of fun to listen to with Starkville and to follow you on Twitter. And we'll absolutely reach out again because um, we enjoy having this conversation with you to try and uh, move things forward a little bit. So thanks for everything you're doing, Doug.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and I gotta say, you guys have a fantastic, fantastic important show. So thanks for reaching out to me.
0: Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you Doug, you take care of yourself and we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. Jeff, uh, I don't even want to try and be funny right now. Mm-hmm. I just want to keep having well, a conversation. Well, that's good because you're usually not. <laughs> I know, but I try. Like, I no, try you, to make you some are, I'm the one dumb that's not, I joke after things. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to. And I, I told you a little bit before the show about trying to put ourselves in into other people's shoes. And mm-hmm. to hear Dontrell Willis say, when do I have that conversation with my kids?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And... You know, you want people to relate and empathize. And, and those are the kind of things that, you know, anybody who's a parent thinks about the conversations they're going to have with their kids, but they may not necessarily have to have that conversation that Dr. L. Willis
1: has. Well, and, yeah, and, and you and I are in different, from the parent perspective, there are different ends of the spectrum in that I, I have a son who's going off to college who's, you know, he's had the, we've had these talks and now it's time for him to experience things good and bad on his own. Uh, you're at the beginning of the experience where your kid may walk past the TV at this point and go, "Why, Daddy? Why is that going on?" Um, and it's it's hard, but it's it's particularly hard for for us because there's certain things you can you can raise your children and you can teach them to respect other people, um, but you you can't. Everybody has their own experiences, and there's certain experiences that that each of us won't have. And so it's important for us, uh, and you and I talked about this beforehand, it's important for us to listen and 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 to let people who have had these experiences talk about it. We've had Doug on the show before where he's talked about the experience with a cab driver, and I think it was in L.A. Uh, it, was, it was in Chicago.
0: It was it was when they asked him to go to the south side of town when he was playing for the Cubs. Yeah. They
1: assumed he was going there. And, and you're and right. the t thing is, you know, he was shoveling his own driveway. And so... You know these are experiences that we can not have that we can't relate to, but well, the one thing that we can do is we can listen. and most importantly, we can we need to learn to have empathy and just respect for everybody. The, the, it, it seems so simple and it it's it's not because but
0: the, the thing that, I appreciate about Doug is he recognizes the complexity. He's not an either or. You have to stand with people who feel wronged or feel hurt or scared for their lives in terms of uh, minorities out there versus police. He doesn't try and approach it from that way. In fact, if you look at some of the best situations around the country, it was when police and the community were together. Mm-hmm. doing things like we saw in Camden this past week. Well, that's it. They, they
1: deserve, you know, it's, it's, it's cities like Camden that, you know, we've heard so many things for so many years and, and you look at that and they're, they're an example to, to the world during a, a difficult time. And there are so many, there are so many more good things than bad things. And people seem to, it just seems to be a natural reaction to focus on the bad. And, and, and we need to, if we're going to get through this and we're going to get better. We need to do the positive things, and at athletes, you know that "shut up and dribble" is is such such a horrible phrase for so many reasons, and and it's so ignorant to not realize that that everybody has a voice and everybody has an experience, and most of the these athletes have had these experiences. It doesn't matter that they've made millions of dollars because guess what? When they walk off the court or they walk off the field, and they're bicycling down the road, or they're walking, or they're in, they're jogging. They're no different. And they have those, they end up having those experiences. They're not walking around with signs that say, I have $10 million or $100 million. Don't bother me. And so they have those experiences.
0: Have you been surprised at how public some athletes have been? We're going to have Keith Pompey in a minute, and we'll talk to him about Tobias Harris in particular, who's done a lot in the community to begin with. But have you been surprised as we bring Keith on with the level of athlete response to this in particular?
1: Well, I've been surprised, not that there have been so many vocal people, but who those vocal people are. I mean, Ben Simmons is not somebody that, some people don't even know what his voice sounds like. And Ben Simmons doesn't talk a lot, but he has, um, he hasn't spoken, but he has written. And he's written eloquently, and he's written it in an important way. Tobias is somebody that we have heard these things from in a different way. I mean, Keith, Keith who's going to be on, has written, wrote an article last year about all the stuff that, that Tobias does behind the scenes that we all didn't really even know about. And Tobias didn't want us to know about. He just wanted to do these things because that's in his nature. And Tobias has found his voice with this um coming out and strongly saying some things, even with regard to the Drew Brees thing, which I do agree with him on. I, I, I think that, that if Drew Brees was going to say the things he said, and if he is apologetic, and I can't I can't go inside his head or his heart and decide whether he is or isn't, it just strikes me that if you're if you felt that you could say this thing in front of a TV camera, then don't hide behind the words when you apologize. Come out and go on that same camera. And say those things. And I I think that had he once he realized that had he done that immediately, he could have saved a lot of pain. But to me, what I mean, we've we've had the the pleasure of having Malcolm Jenkins in our town and seeing how involved he was, even in Camden, how involved he is in the community, and how vocal and how his voice matters, seeing the passion from him and the pain from him through that video of his i think it was his instagram account or twitter whatever it was um, it was very impactful i don't know about you but just ju- you could t- you could almost turn off the volume and just see the pain in his face and i and i got to think that that drew Brees saw that too i mean the, felt it the emotion of of
0: a lot of these athletes has been what has been most moving to watch. And I wanted to bring Keith Pompey on. Keith, uh, I enjoyed the conversation that you and Jeff started about this for our listeners who may not have heard it on your Pompey on Sixers broadcast. uh, I wanted to start by just asking how you're doing with all this. How are you holding up and and what are the thoughts that are going through your head as you see everything going on in your city and uh, on a larger scale?
3: You know, it's weird because, you know, you try not to talk about yourself, and and there's a lot of times where, you know, you want to be strong, but for me to say that I'm not hurting and, you know, would be wrong, you know, a, a lot of people say, you know, okay, Keith, you grew up in Frankfurt, you did this, you did that, you know, you know, you were able to, you know, go to college, have a good job, you know, do whatever you want, people think, but at the end of the day, like, when you see other people hurting and, and then there's times when you feel like you've been racially profiled, and you're going to continue to be racially profiled, and you see what happened to to George Floyd, you know, it, it brings back a lot of emotions. It brings back a lot of hurt that you may have experienced through the years. And so, yeah, I, I hate to be long-winded, but it affects all of us, and it's going to continue to affect us. And you, there's something that you understand that a lot of people aren't going to get it, and, and you're you're kind of like, I'm glad for you that you don't get it because you didn't experience it. But, you know, it, it's one of those things, if you walk in certain people's shoes, like black males and, and black people's shoes, you understand why a Malcolm Jenkins is so upset why he's hurt. You understand why, you know, a lot of other guys are donating money, why Tobias Harris is speaking out because of the experiences that we go through.
1: And Keith, you talk about Tobias Harris. Nobody probably in in this city knows about Tobias more than you do, just because of how you've reported on him and how you've researched him. Um, what have you seen this week with regard to Tobias and his general reaction and being out and in marching, but also his reaction to Drew Brees?
3: You know, I'm I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked at all. I mean, and, and that says a lot about Tobias. It says a lot about. You know, um, you know how he was raised. You know, Tobias is, and and you know he did a a first person in in the Players Tribune, and he admitted, you know, he admitted that, you know, the way he was raised. I mean, his father was a millionaire, or is a millionaire. You know, so Tobias grew up, you know, in in the neighborhood, and 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 had the life like he wasn't eating syrup sandwiches, but he always knew that his father always told him that you have to reach back. You know, you, you have to use the things that I gave you, and once you become a celebrity, so to speak, a basketball player, you have to use that to impact others. So when he spoke out about um, um, Drew B. Breeze, when he spoke out about the Montgomery County um, commissioner, you know, that's what Tobias does. You know, Tobias is a guy who just happens to use his NBA platform to impact others because, let's face it, when he was an AAU guy in New York, and Long Island, you know, he his father used that platform that he had to impact kids in the inner city to help them out.
0: So, Tobias, we're not surprised because he's used the platform a lot. Are you at all surprised? by how vocal Ben Simmons has been throughout this?
3: You know, I, I well, it, it's weird because I would say yes, but if you remember last year when he was in Australia and he could not get into a casino. Um, now, they allowed a lot of other people in there, but they didn't allow Ben and his crew in. Like, he was racially profiled. And then later, you know, they tried to make it seem like it was, the, what he was what he was wearing and this and that. But Ben went straight to Twitter. <laughs> he did a video, and he, and he also, um, you know, uh, made a comment about it. So with that being said, no, I'm not surprised. Now, if you ask Ben Simmons something about basketball, he, he probably won't, don't, he doesn't want to talk about it. But if you ask him something about a, a social issue, He'll speak up quickly,
1: Keith. You know, you and I uh, had a little discussion earlier in the week about uh, James Dolan and his lack of of action or word. Um, But what I want to ask you about now is the Sixers. Uh, The Sixers do seem to show solidarity. You know, we know that when there was the Meek Mill incident, that they they were very active in that. What has been your understanding, or what have you seen, with regard to the Sixers' reaction to this, and and how the players are are feeling about the Sixers' uh, encouragement?
3: You know, uh, you know, I, I've been—I'm not going to say shocked, but I, I, I've been delighted by their reaction thus far. I mean, especially their head of PR, the vice uh, the vice president of uh, of uh, you know PR, uh, Dave Schaller. You know, there was a guy who came back, and he had a tweet. Praising Tobias, and he got criticized, and the guy said, "You know, all lives matter. Don't you care about this and that?" And and and, and the guy kind of like, you know, rude with him, and and Dave like snapped back at the guy. Now he didn't say anything inappropriate, but he stood up for, you know, his his statement, and he and he stood up for the players on the team. And a lot of times you don't have to do that. Sometimes people just take the silent approach. Like they get criticized. And they just don't say anything. Like you know what, I'm not even going to deal with this person. But Dave took his time to, to you know, to, to address his, um, you know, to address the situation. So to me, I kind of like stuff like that. And then also, you know, there's some things that you know happened on our job yesterday, and Dave took a point to reach out to me. And also, um, there's a guy, Rob King, like even when the George, when the George, uh, Floyd stuff came out last week, you know, Rob reached out to me. So things like that, it, it makes you feel good and it makes you, you know, it makes you feel good about that person because let's face it, PR people, they have a job to do. A lot of times we're trying to get information, we're trying to get to the bottom of it, and there are times where you can say they're not cooperative, you know, about their jobs, because they know what we want, and they're not trying to give it to us. However, right now, it shows a person's true character by the way that they're taking up for people and the way that they're coming and they're addressing me. You know, and and you can tell at times when some people are saying, making statements and saying stuff, because it's the politically correct thing to do. But you can also see when a person is coming from the heart and saying stuff. And I believe that they're coming from the heart.
0: Yeah, not to blow smoke about Dave, but if you go on his Twitter feed, he's taken on a lot of people, uh, even other radio people in the city who have said, like, is it time to get back to sports now? Uh, And he's made very clear, no, it's, it's not that time right now. You mentioned your own challenges this week with the Inquirer. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for the listeners in terms of what happened and the impact it has on you as a journalist in the city and what you all decided to do?
3: Yeah, it's like they really don't want us to go too far into it, but I'll talk a little bit about it. (laughs) You
0: can uh, always tell me no, Keith, if I ask something that's bad.
3: (laughs) Nah, nah, it's good. I mean, I'll I'll talk to it. You know, I have my lawyer on here, and, you know, he'll tell me when it's safe. No comment. (laughs) No no comment. No, but, no, basically, I'll just say this. So, apparently, you know, there was um, a headline that said Buildings Matter Too. And a lot of the people of color, and not only us, a lot of people at the Enquirer took offense to the headline. And the reason why we took offense to the headline, first of all, is is, is hurtful, right? Um, is is it, it minimizes what um, what when the, the term Black Lives Matter? Yes, all lives matter, buildings matter, everything. But when you say Black Lives Matter, you're basically saying we matter, too, right? And there's been, you know, so it kind of, like, impacted a lot of people because, A, me, you know, I'm a guy from Philadelphia. I live in South Jersey now, but I'm from Philadelphia. I'm from the Frankfurt section. And, you know, I want people in that section to realize that they matter and that, that Philadelphia Inquirer has their back. When they saw that headline, there were a lot of people in my community, in various different communities all over who were offended by that. And they look at us as if that we're an extension of those communities. And when they saw that, it was like it hurt us because we felt embarrassed that we were no longer, that they felt like we were no longer an extension. Now, the person who did it, you know, you can argue that you know what he mess, he messed up he it was one of those things where he's like he feels really bad about it but at the same time is an insensitive headline if you meant to do it or not and i don't think the person did but at the same time for the people in the community it hurts and it hurt me to be honest with you when i saw it so that's why we did what we did yesterday And we're hopeful that things like that won't help happen again. And we're also hopeful that, you know, we can get, you know, we can grow from this, that they know how people of color feel and that people of color need to be consulted the next time a headline like that, you know, you you think about doing something like that, you know, insensitive.
1: Yeah, it it seems to me that you've now experienced, again, what everybody or what a lot of people are going through. And this is just another extension of that conversation and that something good can actually come out of it because maybe a statement was made at the wrong time, but they got to see how it can hurt even if it wasn't intended to hurt. And that can make things better, which is what we're seeing with a lot of these discussions in the locker room that are are filtering out to social media.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and here's the thing, you know, I try not to do stuff like that and I try not to personalize things. You know, you feel like, you know, as a as a reporter, you know, it's all about, um, you know, getting the news out, being objective, getting the news out, being somebody behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I consulted with, you know, uh, several of my mentors about things and, you know, I guess, so I guess so certain people can get a better understanding of why we feel this way, talking about, you know, the African-American community. You know, I'm just going to do a little, um, uh, uh, just give you a little insight of why I personally feel this way and just, you know, tell people about some of the experience that, I, that I've that i had in the past and that I continue to have. You know, I'm going to do that in Sunday's Inquirer just so people could get understanding, you know, because when I say that I'm hurting and there's going to be certain people who don't understand why, like, what you mean you're hurting? Why, why are you hurting? And, you know, I just want to share with them, you know, some of my experiences, you know, just so they can get a better understanding of why, you know, why, why they understand why some of their coworkers who they may think like, Hey, this guy is doing okay. Why does he feel this way? Or or, or why are people acting a certain way? And I just want to just share that with Vanessa. Well,
1: while while all this is going on, it does appear that the NBA is having discussions or has made a decision to return. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit little bit about what's what's going on and are they really returning?
0: And then I want to let Jeff complain about the format after
1: you talk about it, because I heard him rant on your show the other day. Well, I think people can just listen to Keith's
3: podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It was was one of those things where I couldn't say anything. It was like, but Jeff, I'm just happy you're coming back. (laughs) You know, I hope hope Adam Silver didn't hear, hear Jeff. He made like, well, maybe we have to listen to him. Um, Good
1: job, Jeff. You messed it up for all of us. That's right. It's my fault.
3: <clears throat> nah, you know, and the, the the thing is, okay, so they are coming back, and and I understand what Jeff is saying. Like, why 22 teams? You know, why not? I mean, if you think about it, there's, there's 30 teams in the league. There's 13 teams, excuse me, there's 15 teams in the Western Conference. 13 of them are coming back. And nine teams in the Eastern Conference are coming back. So, what Jeff says is valid, and, and, and it's hard to explain it. And, you know, you can come out there and say, yes, these teams were going to be in a playoff hunt, right, um, and there was only another a team in the East that was close by of making it, which was the Washington Wizards who were coming back, but they probably won't get there. But when you look at it, you know, to me, no one's going to come out and say this, but, yeah, those teams are close. The Portland Trailblazers, um, the Sacramento Kings, the New Orleans Pelicans. They're close, but they also have guys that people want to see on television. So if we want to really pinpoint it, it's all about bringing in viewers. And when you have Damon for the Portland Trailblazers, when you have Zion, um, you know, Williamson, um, for the New Orleans Pelicans, and then you have those young stars in the, for the Sacramento Kings. It's great for television. The same thing for the Phoenix Suns. Um, at the end of the day, once the playoff comes, you know, uh, w- will the Memphis Grizzlies continue to be the A spot in the West? Maybe not. But you know, at the same time, it's going to be intriguing. You know, the viewership is going to go up. And then next thing you know, in, a, in about a week or so, or a couple weeks. After that, we'll we'll go on to the playoffs, and and that's when things will really count.
1: Yeah, to me, I'm not going to go through the whole rant again, but to me, what I don't understand is why they're having the eight regular season games and then having a play-in game, because that just means it's all coming down for the eight and nine seed in the East to one game anyway. So what's the point other than getting them exercised?
0: TV dollars, Jeff.
3: TV dollars. Exactly. Exactly, it's TV you two, dollars. Are
1: so, you two are so jaded. You know <laughs> this, man.
3: I know, he, exactly. It's, it's, that's all it is, It's TV money. I mean, it's Jeff, like, okay, so they're going to get that 900.
0: Jeff gets all Pollyannish sometimes about this all. When Je- Keith, you and I both know he's way more jaded than he wants to come off.
1: Who, me? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. Look, Keith is Keith nothing to say about that. All right. Well, so here, here's a subject we know you have something to say on. So, w- what about the Sixers? So, are are they ready to go? Is Ben going to be ready to go? What can we expect, and are we going to bring home a championship from Orlando?
3: You say, are they going to bring home a championship from Orlando? Yeah,
1: that, that's uh, that's what we all want to know.
3: Oh <laughs> uh, man. Okay, like here's the thing. I think thing. I
1: just heard you fall off your chair, but yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I did kind of back up a little bit. I mean <laughs> so here here's the deal. There's two things. Can the can the Sixers get to the finals? Probably. Now no now can they win a championship? Unlikely. Um but here here's the thing. In order for the Sixers to get to a championship and to win a championship Joel Embiid has to play at an extremely high level. You know, I'm hearing that Joel is working out six times a week, and he's extremely motivated, and he's going to be a beast. He's not going to be the Joel Embiid that we've become accustomed to, you know, following breaks where he gains weight. I'm hearing he's ready. So if Joel Embiid is ready, that's going to help out tremendously. If Joel Embiid is not ready, no, they don't have a chance. Now, when, in regards to Ben Simmons, you know, everyone's saying he's back. Typically, you know, when it all – I mean, being healthy and being, like, healthy and being 100% ready, you know, it, it comes down to the next day after a strenuous practice or after a game. You have to fall down a couple times, you know, get hit in the, in the back, do all these other things that's when we'll really know what Ben Simmons can do. So on July 31st, if they play that day and Ben Simmons like gets a lot of pounding and stuff like that, we'll find out the next morning if Ben is actually back again. Because think about it. you know They said Ben was back the last time. Now I know he had some rest, but they said he was back. And then what happens? He plays four minutes against the Milwaukee Bucks. So all this stuff sounds good. But until he actually gets, you know, contact, and that's when we'll really know what Ben can do. But I do think that the Sixers, if if Joel Embiid is okay, I think they have a chance of getting at least to the Eastern Conference. They could possibly get to the finals. I don't know if they have the firepower, you know, the bench good enough for them to win a championship. I, I just don't know if they can beat the Clippers in seven games, if they can beat the Lakers in seven games. I don't know if they have the fire firepower needed to, to beat those two teams in, in a seven-game series.
0: Hey, Keith, I know you covered NASCAR at a previous stop in your career. Are you going to end up being a soccer reporter with Kevin Durant getting some ownership in the uh, union?
3: If Kevin Durant starts making public appearances down there, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Keith Pompey taking shots on goal. That's what we need. Keith, thank you so much for the time. Uh, appreciate the conversation, always appreciate your work. Uh, everybody should check out the Locked on Sixers podcast, read Keith and the Inquirer, follow him at Pompeii on Sixers,
3: and uh,
0: you take care of yourself and have a good weekend, man.
3: Yeah, we need to get you on there with us.
0: I would love to. Look, I told Jeff, you do the best plugs for our show of anybody out there, man. I
3: got to get on there. <laughs> no, nah, it is look, a great show. I yeah, love the show, man. I wish you guys came on more. If, um,
1: if you want to hear, if you want to hear basketball insider stuff, Keith's the guy. So if you're not subscribing, as, as he says about our show and his show, it is true, you're doing yourself a disservice. So you, you are know. giving yourself a disservice. So, and if so, you yeah.
0: subscribe, you can catch Jeff Cohen occasionally an extra too. So
3: <laughs> the, the check is in the mail, fellas. <laughs> Thank Keith, you. Thanks, thanks. Thank you. Keith, I'm still waiting so much. for
1: those candy bars.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, Built bars in the, the mail. <laughs> All right. Jeff does a good Thanks, plug brother. for those bars. Bye. Keith, take Bye. care of yourself. Thanks, Bye. man. <laughs> Jeff, uh, you know, I, we did want to do a lot of listening, and I, I just feel like talking to people about what they're going through helps other people to understand what's going on right now. Everybody's seeing something different.
1: I think it's important to do it in a, in a productive way. I think that, that getting into... Name calling and and things like that. It doesn't help. It doesn't advance. It doesn't advance the cause. And the causes for all of us to be able to get along, respect each other, uh, and and have empathy towards what's going on. Two minutes left. I did want to uh, throw a legal one at you. Uh, Zion you gonna have to test. Zion gonna
0: have to testify.
1: I think. They, I think they just stated today. Uh, I think ultimately he is gonna have to testify, and we're gonna find out. I, look. I, I don't want to prejudge anything, but the fact that they're fighting really hard not to give out this information does at least give you <laughs> the idea that there's something that was going on here. I mean, does this could this be the thing that tarnishes Duke's image? Because isn't that is that's what they're that's what they're looking for is information they're looking on to Zion see if he got, got improper benefits. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what they're looking to see, at which point Reggie Bush, I guess, can complain about it. look look at you taking
0: shots there
1: nhl Uh moving
0: to phase two to start to come back are you getting excited for hockey unlike max kellerman who said nobody cares
1: oh i care i think there's a lot of people that care i think i care a lot i mean looking forward to the
0: flyers coming back a
1: lot I think even a lot of people who don't watch hockey, people are looking for ways to get back to some sense of normalcy and to have a release, and and sports is is both of those things, um, in addition to the things that we discussed earlier. So sure. I, I think it's interesting, but I, I, the the whole reseeding thing is is kind of fascinating, and it, I guess it's a lot easier because there's only going to be two places they play it. You know, reseeding is a lot more difficult when you have to schedule a whole bunch of arenas, and you don't have that problem. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, looks like the NLS has an agreement. They're going to come back, be in Orlando. Did you think there was a chance they wouldn't reach an agreement? No, I thought I, I, that they're not the ones that I thought wasn't going to reach. Baseball, ag- you're ready to go down in flames, even though you don't want it.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to be watching a lot of KBO if you want to watch baseball. I, I just I, I they, they keep we talked in on previous shows about what negotiating is. And you're not negotiating if you keep coming out with the worst possible positions that you know the other side isn't going to agree to. Looks
0: like I could end up being wrong. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.